is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. We ask you have a seat. Amen. I pray that you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, you didn't eat too much, uh, though I did. Um, it's like one of those things. Like I, I always go into Thanksgiving and I think, man, I'm going to do well this year. I'm going to keep it low. I'm just going to like... I'm going to keep it so I don't have to be so stuffed and full and feel bloated and hate myself. And then I get done with it. I'm like, I hate myself. Uh, it seems like it always happens. And I think, man, I'm going to keep my pace. I'm going to like do a steady pace. And I just like consume it all like a vacuum. Um, I, I, I love Thanksgiving. I think it's my favorite holiday to eat. Um, so I'm grateful for Thanksgiving. But as I was thinking about Thanksgiving and thinking about, you know, Thanksgiving, not as much anymore as it used to be, but Thanksgiving was kind of the doorway into Christmas. Now we start Christmas at the 4th of July for some reason. It's like, why are there already trees out well before Halloween? I don't get it. But as I was thinking about Thanksgiving, I was thinking about the holidays, I was thinking to myself, you know, life in the next few months are going to be, or the next month, the next four weeks, are going to be full of choices. And it starts with Thanksgiving morning when I have the choice um, to choose. What am I going to eat? And it's like, I just can't decide what I'm going to eat, so I just pile it all on the plate. And then, and then you know, then it's, well, it used to be Black Friday was the day to go shopping. Now it's like Black Thursday. It's kind of weird. I, I don't get it all. But like all these choices are going to bombard us over the next month or so. And all these choices are going to bombard us for one thing about happiness. Either we hope to become happy by the gifts that we receive, or if you're like me, I, I don't like receiving gifts. I like to give gifts um, just out of my own stuff in my own life. Like I'm much more of a giver than a receiver in that sense. Uh, and so, but I'm going to be real picky on what I decide to give out. My kids are the hardest. It's like I go in thinking I'm going to, they're going to love it, and then they open, and they look at me with great disappointment. Uh, this happens every time. We just had Cedar's birthday party when I thought, man, I got him the great gift. And he opened it and he played with the box rather than the toy. It's like, I, I don't get it. Uh, but there's all these choices in the next month or so that we'll be bombarded with. But my hope is, as we look at this passage, God says there's really only two choices. Two eternal choices. And He gives us the choice every day to choose one of these two. Right? He says it best, I, I believe, that uh, many of the scholars think that Jesus took the Sermon of the Mount and He ended it with Psalm 1 when He said, hey, there's going to be these two trees, there's going to be these two pathways, there's going to be these two builders, there's going to be these two foundations. See, there's two choices for all of us to make. The choice of the blessed one or the choice of the wicked. We decide. And so there's the choice that is laid before us this morning that we all must answer. Which one will we choose today? Will we be the blessed man or the wicked man? 
Let's look at what he says here in the Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a doorway to the rest of the book of Psalms. All 150 Psalms can tie back to this one Psalm. The, the, the scholars say this, in the book of Psalm, the very first word of the Psalm starts with uh, the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's the very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet in the end of verse uh, 6. So blessed and perish in the Hebrew says A and Z in our vocabulary. And so what the psalmist is saying, here's the A to Z to live out life. And here's how you're going to decide to live out life. What will you choose today? Jared, it's kind of it's very loud up here for me, man. I can't imagine what it's like there for you because it's like blaring in my head. I'm already getting a headache. So it's the A to Z to live out the life that we choose. And so we see these two men in this passage. We see the blessed man in verse 1 and we see the wicked man in verse 5. So we'll start with the righteous man. He says this, blessed. Circle that word in your Bible. The word blessed in the Hebrew means this. To be supremely happy or fulfilled. So the supremely happy man or the supremely fulfilled man, he's going to start and says, they don't do these things. He starts with the negative first. The happy man doesn't do these things. And then he's going to say in verse two, but he does these things. And so what are what does the happy man not do? Blessed is the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, or sits in the seat of scoffers. We see three things that the blessed man does not do. The first one is this. He does not walk. Highlight that in your Bible. The word walk there and the word counsel there. So he's saying the blessed man doesn't do this. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Well, that simply means this. That the, the righteous man isn't influenced by the world. So this is going to be a downward progression in this text. So he starts with walk and he ends with sitting. So the first one is this. He's not influenced by the world. Now, if you're like me, the influence of the world is everywhere. TV, music, media, culture. And so I would say, I'm not influenced by the world. But I better start taking a real hard examination of what I sit in front of in terms of the television and media and music. You see, everything that we take into our brains is going to influence us in some way, shape, or form, does it not? And so I can sit haughtily and say, oh, I'm not influenced by the world at all. But if I take a quick examination of my life, and I really begin to take in what do I take in visually and audibly, I think to myself, man, I, I, I'm not, it's not going well for me, if I'm honest. And so I would ask this question to us first. How much are we influenced by the world? How much are we walking with the world? Paul tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. And yet, I think most of us, if we're honest, are more of the world, not just in the world. 
And then the psalmist says this, nor does he stand in the way of sinners. So he says, you're not influenced by the world. And then he says this next word, you don't stand. Standing means this, to join in in the advice of or to be uh, identified as. So you see, when I begin to stand with something, I take a stand in something, that's who I identify myself with. So he's saying, you're going to start by walking with the world. And if we're not careful, we tend to walk with the world, we'll, we'll begin to take the stand with the world. See, it's getting worse. And so do we, not only are we not influenced by the world, but do we identify with the world? You see, I think this is where for us, culturally as Christians, we're doomed. Because so many of us, Christians and non-Christians, we uh, cannot identify which one is which. If we even go into churches, what's being broadcast from a pulpit sounds a lot like the world. Does it not? Like there's no more truth from the pulpit because we begin to identify with the world. We want to get along with the world so we don't want to put the truth in their face. It's sad to me what is being preached from pulpits today. We are giving the same advice that the world would give. Now we're dressing it up a little bit nicer. We're cleaning it up a little bit nicer. You see, the pulpit was never meant to be political. And yet, man, has it ever become political? You see, the pulpit of God is for the truth of God and the herald of God's Word and God's Word alone. And that ought to shape everything that we do. But now so often we want to identify with the world. We want to get along with the world. One ancient theologian said this, if the most righteous man in the world, the world could not get along with him, why do you think the world's going to get along with you? I believe that was uh, uh, Ravenhill that said that. We, we no longer want to stick out in the world. We don't want persecution. And so we no longer take stands against what we need to take stands for. But he says this, the righteous man, the blessed man, the one that reveres God does not sit with the scoffers. What does that mean? The next thing, the downward progression is this. It means to give advice as the wicked. So we've been walking with the wicked. We begin to identify with the wicked. Now we just are the wicked. We begin to give the same exact advice with the wicked give. And he says that ought not to be. And so we must ask ourselves this question this morning. Do we walk, stand, or sit like the wicked man? Because if we do, if any of those are true for us, we cannot be blessed. You cannot serve two masters. You can't be both righteous and wicked. I'll say this to the few middle school and high school kids that are in the room this morning. Take a stand for what is different. I say this to you adults. I say this to myself. Let's be different than the world. The world needs to see 
a difference between righteousness and worldliness. You see, the church where we're headed is it's not good. The church in America is headed to distinction. If, if you look at the, the way the world is trending, England a hundred years ago was the epicenter of Christology. It was the mega of all the churches. God was using uh, England in a powerful way, bringing revival. Well, you look now at England, you look at Europe now, the stats say that they are a lost people group. That 3% of England identifies themselves as Christian. How'd that happen? It happened because they no longer took a stand. They wanted to become like the world. America is headed in that direction. That ought to Frighten us, church. That ought to shiver, uh, like cause our bones to shiver. That we are headed to be a place that is known for worldliness rather than godliness. See, that wasn't true when America was founded. How far have we come? Another stat is this. And this one's really sad to me that 80% of every high school student that's come to church accepted Christ when they graduate leave the church and never come back did you hear the stat 80% that's not a good how come because we're no longer teaching the truth of God it's what Timothy says, what Paul says to Timothy. There's going to be people that they want to tickle your ears. Meaning they don't want to tell you the truth. You see, the truth is the truth. It's black and white. There's no gray in the truth. But how so? We don't want to tell the truth any longer. We must take a stand. So he's saying this is the blessed man. He doesn't do these things in verse 1. But what does he do? You see, here's the choice. What does the blessed, what does the righteous man do? But he, the blessed man, delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So the choice is this. Will we choose the world or what will we delight in? That word delight means that we enjoy. Think about all the things that you delight in. I hope you delight in your spouse. Like I delight in Jenny, which means I really want to continually get to know Jenny. We've been, we've been married almost 15 years, and there's still things about her I still do not know, and I still get to enjoy getting to know her more intimately. I delight in that. I delight in food. I mean, I'm just telling you, I delight in food. I want to know how it's made. I want to know what's in it. I want to know how long it takes to make. That's why I love Thanksgiving, because I delight in food. And the things that we delight in are not the things that we take time to get to know. And that's what he's saying here. In the psalmist, the very first thing he says, hey, when you choose life, what will you choose to delight in? 
And I wonder, church, do we really delight in God's Word? I'm telling you, you could read this every day for an hour a day for the rest of your life and you'll never know all the truth that's in God's Word. I mean, I I have been studying God's Word for 20 years and I still come across passages. I promise, I've read a hundred times and I, man, it's like it all of a sudden jumps out on the page. I'm like, how have I missed that for 20 years? Even this passage is weak. I can't tell you how many times I've read Psalms. One. Every year, one of my goals is to read through the entire Bible and to read a Psalm every day. I'm telling you, I've read this book, this Psalm, a hundred times in the last ten years. And even this week alone studying, I'm like, how did I miss this? I'm going to show you one of the things I missed over the last 10 years in this psalm. It comes in verse 3. But I say to you, do we delight in the law of God? The law of God does not mean the Torah of God. It means the whole counsel of God. Do we really delight in this? And then the next thing, he says, the righteous man does this. He not only delights in it, but he meditates on it. Now that's, that's an old, old, ancient Practice meditation. But the the word literally means in this Hebrew is that we would recite it and murmur it out loud to ourselves. And what it's how long? It says day and night. And so day and night, I, I think about all the things that I murmur about. Am I the only one? Let me put it this way. Some of the things I complain about day and night. Is that a better way to put it? Or some of the things that, man, some of those catch phrases, those catch songs that like I'm just driving down the road and all of a sudden it's like, bing, and I just start singing. I'm like, where'd that even come from? Well, it's because I must have somewhere delighted in that. And it got caught in my brain. But I wonder how often do I meditate on God's word? Like how often am I driving down the road and what comes to mind more than anything else? Oh man, I just studied this passage this week. I just memorized this verse this week. And that's what I meditate on. The day and night part, I don't know if you're anything like me, but there's often times I wake up in the middle of the night and like there's a thought in my brain, I don't know where it came from, but I can't get rid of it. Anyone else like that? It's called worry. But man, how beautiful it would be instead of waking up with worry that I woke up meditating on the truth of God. Because why? I've spent more time in this than I have in my worry or in my fear. Do I meditate on God's Word? He says, don't be like this, but be like this. Meditate and delight in the Word of God. And then he says this, for this is what the righteous man is like. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. This is the word that jumped out on me this week that I've read this passage a thousand times, a hundred times. The word planted. Now you might think, how does that jump out on the other page? Well, the word planted means this. 
that somebody had to plant the tree somewhere. I didn't plant myself anywhere. Somebody had to do the planting of the tree. He is like a man that's been planted somewhere. So that means somebody's been doing something for me I couldn't do for myself. If I'm delighting myself in the Lord, then God is doing something for me. He's planted me somewhere. And I wonder, church, do I even allow God to do the planting because I'm not delighting in His Word? See, I must be planted where? where where's the planter plant the tree? By the waters. See, we got an all-knowing God that knows what's best for us and knows exactly where He needs to place us to grow us. We are like a tree that's been transplanted is what the Hebrew word means. It means that God saw us over here, a little flower growing, and said, hey, what's best for him is that I pick him up out of this. One of the psalmists says this, that he takes us from the mire and the clay and puts us over here. He knows we won't grow over here, so he does what we cannot do. A tree cannot uproot itself and walk like this and get near the water. It needs a planter to be planted by where? The streams of water. You see, if it remained over there, away from the water, what's going to happen to the plant? It's going to die. So, when that jumped out on the page this week to me, man, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. That He transplanted me. And where did He transplant me? To the streams of water. Now, the next thing that jumped out at me studying this was this. God does the planting. And who does Jesus say He is in John 4? He's the living water. So God took me from here and transplanted me to the living water in Jesus. And then what happens when God does the transplanting and God through Jesus does the watering, what happens? We yield what? We yield fruit in its season. You see, when we've been transplanted by the work of God in our lives to the water of Jesus, there's three benefits that happen. This is going to be an outcome. This will happen in our lives. These are promises that will happen when God takes us from here and puts us here. Three things happen. The first thing is this, that we will produce fruit. You see, if I'm remain over there, out of the waters, I will never produce fruit. But when God sovereignly takes me from this piece of dirt and puts me over here, I will produce fruit. But look what it says. In its season. Which means, man, there might not be times in my life that it looks like fruit is being produced. You see, even now, all the leaves on our trees are about falling to the ground. But this is giving way to a season in the spring that will produce fruit. And so there might be a time in your life right now that it looks really, really, really barrenness, like the winter. But God must be doing something in you, preparing you for something because the promise is, hey, the fruit is coming. 
the harvest is going to come after the fruit has been prepared. And so you in your life right now, I don't know what God's taking you through, but you might look at your, your life as the tree and think, man, there's nothing on there. There's no buds on there. It looks as dead as dead can be. Well, the promise is this. If God transplanted you from here to here, the fruit will come. And then what's the next promise? And its leaves don't wither. Meaning this. Meaning that when that drought comes, when the, the, the harsh, the, the harshness comes, when those summer heat comes and it looks like everything's gonna die, the promise is, hey, if you're planted in the water and the streams of water, you will never wither. You'll weather the storms. But see, you're only gonna weather the storms if you've been transplanted where the water is. You see, the promise is this. If you've never been transplanted to the water, when the storms come, you will wither and you will die. You will never produce fruit. And so I asked this question this morning. Have you been transplanted into the water? And then he says this. Here's the promise. In all that he does, he prospers. So the promise is this, you'll bear fruit, you won't die, and you'll prosper. Now many preachers have taken this verse and done a disservice to the verse. This verse is not talking about uh, the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That you come to Jesus, man, your life's going to be great. I know for me, I came to Jesus and my life went to hell in a handbasket really quick. My dad committed suicide. My addiction blew up. I'm telling you, it didn't get, the roses were not coming out. It got really, really messy. So I'm not promising you, you'll prosper in the way the world says you'll prosper. But what it says is that you will have this ongoing relationship with God that will bring everything into fruition. That what you're going through now, you'll eventually look back and see, man, I see what God was doing. The promise is not this, that you'll make a million dollars today. You come to Jesus, you win the lottery. That's not the promise. The promise is that you and I will prosper. That we'll make it all the way to the end because of what God has done for you, not what you've done for yourself. That's the promise. You will prosper if you've been transplanted to the waters of Christ Jesus. So that's the righteous. I ask the question, do you delight in the law of God? Do you meditate on the law of God? And have you been transplanted by God to Christ Jesus? And then he says this. He makes the switch to the wicked. The wicked are not so. Those benefits that we just talked about, that's not so for the wicked. He says this. They, but they are like chaff. That the wind drives away. Do you know what chaff is? Chaff is the weightless, worthless product of the harvest. Let me say that again. Chaff is what you do is you go to the threshing floor, you, you take the wheat in and you divide the wheat from the chaff. And what they would do is they would take these big forks and they would throw up the wheat into the air and that would separate the good stuff from the bad stuff, and the heavy stuff would fall to the ground, and then the wind would blow the chaff away. 
And then what they would do with the chaff, they would circle it all up and then they would put it in a fire. And so what he's saying is, hey, are you like the wicked or are you like the, like the righteous? Because if you're like the wicked, you're chaff. You're weightless and you're worthless. Now that's scary to hear. That wicked people are worthless and weightless. But that's the promise of God. And he says this. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And what happens to the wicked and to the worthless and to the unrighteous? They are, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment. Meaning, when the wicked come before this judgment seat of Christ, they can take no stand. They have no defense for themselves, is what this passage means. That the wicked come and they stand before God. They cannot stand before God. They cannot give no defense before a holy God because they're wicked. You see, when you stand in a courtroom, you stand to give a defense. And he's saying you can't stand in front of God to give any defense because you are guilty as guilty can be. There's nothing that you can say. The, 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 the wicked man cannot stand before God and say, but I did this, but this, but this, but this, but this. They're mute in the courtroom. That ought to terrify us. You see, because when the righteous go before the holy throne room of God, our great defender stands and gives our defense for us. His name is Christ Jesus. There's no one to give a defense for the wicked, but for the righteous, the defender is Christ Jesus. He says, oh, it's me and me alone. I've covered them in my blood that they may come and stand before a holy God and, and be seen as innocent because of what I've done for them. The wicked say, I've got nothing. And then he says this, they can't go and stand before a courtroom and give a defense, nor can the sinner or the wicked man in the congregation of the righteous. Meaning they can't go into the church. They can come into the church, but they've got nothing to say in the church. There's nothing that the wicked man can say. We get to come in here and we get to declare our praise to Christ Jesus. That's what we do in here. When we come and we sing songs, we give this adoration, this declaration to the holy God. A wicked person, they can give none of that. They cannot sit with us and give the same declaration that we give to a holy God. And here, finally, is the outcome. So what's the difference between these two paths that we choose today? There's the blessed man, there's the wicked man. The blessed man will prosper. The blessed man will not wither when the heat comes. The blessed man will always bear fruit in its season. But the right, the, the wicked man will give no uh, account as he sits in the courtroom of God. And then he says this, this is the outcome. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Circle that word no in your Bible. This is a beautiful word. I think our English translation doesn't do it justice. The word no means to be more informed and to care more about. 
as one's own self. Did you hear that last part? It says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You see, if we are known by God, it's this ongoing knowing and it's this ongoing understanding that we belong to Him and He belongs to us. Think of your children. Your children will always belong to you. No matter how far they go, they will always belong to you. And there will be a piece of you that will always know them. And there's a piece of them that will always know you. You see, when I look into the mirror, though my dad is not with us, I can look in the mirror and I can still know my dad. I look at myself and I see a lot of him in me. Because I'm known. That's how I'm known. The truth is that for us, when we look into the mirror and God looks at us, we, are, we have the same, uh, the same identity as Him. We look like Him. It's called the Imago Dei of God. The image of God is stamped onto us. He knows us. That's what it means for us. The outcome is that God knows the way of the righteous. I would say this to you and ask this question. Are you known by God today? One theologian says this when it comes to the question is when it comes to to worship is not that do I know God, but does God know me? See, it doesn't not matter how much I know God that that doesn't count for much. What counts for everything is does God know me? See, I can't go before God and say, oh, I knew you. I'm in. No, he has to say, no, no, I knew you. Therefore, you're in. And so it says this, God knows us as the righteous. And then he says this, but the way of the wicked will perish. Two promises in verse 6. We're known by God if we're righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. We'll die. We'll spend eternity apart from Him. And so the question I pose to you this morning is, The choice is ours. Are you the wicked or are you the righteous? But see, there's only one way we can know. You see, if you are honest with yourself, and I'm honest with myself, I look at the very first verse. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the way of sinners, or or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. I come up and I come short with all those. I've sat... uh, I've sat with sinners, I've stood with the sinners, and I've walked with sinners. I've I've done all those things. And all of us in this room, we cannot say, yep, I've done all those things. I've never sat, never stood, and never sat with sinners. No, all of us in this room have done those things. But this passage points to another. There is one who never walked in the counsel of the wicked. There was one who never stood in the way of sinners. And there one is that never sat with scoffers. His name is Christ Jesus. You see, I can only do those things if I'm in Christ Jesus. Because in and of myself, I will want to always walk with sinners, stand in the way of sinners, and sit with the scoffers. But if I'm in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus gives me the power through His blood and His work on the finished work on the cross that says, I don't have to because Christ is going to do it for me. 
You see, this whole passage is not about us at all. This whole passage is about what Christ can and will do for us. You see, in and of ourselves, we'll continue to make poor choices. That's, that's what we are. We are sinners by nature. At the fall, when, when Adam and Eve, our first parents, ate of the fruit that they were told not to eat of, we, we from then on, there's always been in all of us this sin nature. We want to choose sin more than we want to choose God. But we need a transplanter that will take us from this field over to this field. And when we get tethered into that water, by that water, the living water, we now have the choice, not because of our own water, but because of what Christ Jesus is doing in and through us, that we get to choose now. The choice is not ours. We've been transplanted. Therefore, that new uh, place in our lives, the water gives us the choice to not sit or stand or walk with the wicked. You see, this whole passage, Psalm 1, is not about you and me at all. The whole book of Psalms is not about you and me at all. It's all about what Christ Jesus can do in and through us if we surrender our life and our wills to Him. So if you come to God's Word and you come to God's law as I better do this and I better not do this. I better do this and I better... You're going to live a pretty miserable life. Because you'll get to the end of it and you'll think, I, I wasn't able to do any of that. With all my strength, I tried not to do those things. With all my strength, I tried to do those things. You will be totally exhausted. But when we come to God and to God's law and say, man, I will surrender my will and my life to Jesus who has already done it, then He does it in and through us. Amen? So I ask the question this morning. Are you a blessed man? Not because of anything that you've done, but what Christ Jesus has done for you. That's what makes us blessed people. The finished work of the cross. Amen? If you do not know that Jesus today, please find me. Find Frank. Find one of the deacons. We want to share with you what it truly means to be a righteous, blameless man. If you do not understand, like you tell me to meditate and have delight in God's law and God's word. If you don't know how to do that, find me. I will give you very clear things to do. Easy, simple things. To meditate on God's law. If you're here and you've been a believer for a long time and you would say, I don't meditate on God's law. I don't delight in God's law. I would say this to you. Have you got complacent in your walk with God? Have you gotten lazy in your walk with God? Have you gotten to a place of like, ah, man, it's good. And I would ask you this question if you're married. Do you have the same delight in your wife that you have in God? Because if you do, then you've got a pretty miserable marriage if you don't delight yourself in God daily. He's given us His Word. And He tells us in His Word His mercies and His truths are new every morning. Do we hunger and thirst as He says in the Beatitudes? 
if we hunger and thirst, and do I come to this thirsty and hungry and desire to be fed by this and this alone? It is delight in the law of God. Let us pray. God, there's always choices for us to make. Even today, we'll leave here. We'll go to lunch, see a menu, and have many choices to make. But God, there's only two choices eternally to be made. To be the righteous man or to be the wicked man. To place our hope and faith in Christ and Christ alone or continue to do it on our own. God, the promise is true. When we place our hope and faith in You, the promise is we have eternal life with You forever and ever. If we don't do that, God, the promise is true. We spend eternity apart from You. God, I I pray for my own self. I pray for every believer in here that we really would delight in Your law, in Your Word, Your whole counsel. That we would meditate on it day and night, God. That we would begin to memorize Scripture and memorize Your truths and chew on those things all the time. We would savor Your Holy Word in our lives. God, I pray if there's anyone in here that doesn't know You as their Lord and Savior, that today You would draw them to Yourself. Today they would be transplanted from death to life, from the barren, parched land to a land flowing with water, Your Son Jesus. Pray that you pray that you would transplant all of us into the rivers of life. Give us hope today. Our only hope is in Christ, in Christ alone. Christ Jesus, I'm grateful for what you've done for me. You've given me life and freedom and hope. I pray this in your mighty name. Amen.